0: You've tuned into all things fine and gentry with the connoisseur, French Thompson, where consistently we bring you ideas, concepts, and exposure to thoughtful content, lifestyle enhancements, and opportunities to improve yourself and those around you. Thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to this week's episode. welcome 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 back to all things fine and gentry this is the connoisseur french thompson and i'm thankful that each and every one of you all decided to join me today in this conversation uh if this is your first time joining uh, us welcome to all things fine and gentry this is a place where we like to chat like to glean some information as the introduction said and have some really cool conversations with some really cool people uh and for those that are, are um returning recurring reoccurring listeners uh welcome back you know we'd like to call you all the connoisseurs so i'm glad that you are uh still connoisseuring which is probably not a proper term but it is what it is that you all are still uh consuming this content and we would love for you all to uh like share subscribe follow uh connect Uh, This this podcast this information with others, because the more people we get this information out to is great and uh, it helps to uh, to enhance the listening audience. So we're going to get into it. As you all know, we are in the middle of our Superwoman series. I have been enjoying this uh, uh, these last months, really, of the the Superwoman uh, series that we have here. And as I said, this kind of started off as me looking at the folks that I would love to talk to this year. And as I started laying this out, realized that there are a lot of women who are uh, really just killing it in the game and uh, said, man, they're they're they're, they're like superwomen. So here we are in the middle of it. So today's episode is one that's um, that's great, um, as all of them are. But this one is um, if you all remember um, last season, we had an episode with one of my friends, uh, Jamar Jefferson, and uh, it was uh, uh, entitled. Uh, unapologetic, unapologetically you uh, and how uh, Jamar is just essentially it's just him like there's no pretense there's no uh, sugar coating or any of those types of things and it was a great conversation well uh, if there were to be a second uh, installation of that same um, uh, uh, podcast or that same topic it would be this one right here because my guest from the moment that I met her has been unapologetic about who she is and uh, her opinions and everything uh, that goes along uh, with that. And so, again, that's why she's a superwoman in my eyes. She's pretty awesome. So uh, I'd like to thank to or thank what? It's not the end of it. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Mercer Blackshire. Welcome to All Things Fine and Gentry.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thanks for that awesome introduction. I love talking to you generally. So
0: this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. All right. So <laughs> as we typically do for the uh, for the podcast audience, we give our our guests an opportunity to kind of introduce themselves and just, you know, high level. Where are you from? Where would you go to school? Uh, what do you do now? And Then we we'll are kind of just dig into to your story and uh, where this uh, where this this episode might end up. This is going to be awesome. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, Marissa Blackshire, like you said, I am originally from Orange County, California, Laguna Beach to be exact. Laguna. Um, but I spent a large part of my upbringing also in Spokane, Washington. I know both of those things because they actually are kind of integral to my story. And maybe you're yeah, to ask, ask me down the line. Um, I went to school in a couple of places. I did half of my undergrad at the Washington State University, go Cougs. (laughs) Um, And I did half of my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. So totally and completely different. Um, And then I went to law school at a private school called Southwestern Law School in LA. And what do I do now? Um, I am an environmental lawyer by trade, but I recently joined a company called Bloom Energy and I am the senior director of environmental compliance and
0: EH&S.
1: Safety. So yeah, my title is kind of ridiculous in the context of what I do, because isn't environmental compliance, the E and EH and S, but I joined a company who really considers EH and, e, and S safety. So I am the environmental compliance leader. I am also the safety
0: leader. Oh, cool. Cool. All right. It, which, is, which is pretty interesting. All right. So, um, I just want to share the first time that I met you, right. And so, uh, we both, um, well, I still work at my company, but Marissa used to work there. And there's not too many of of, um, of I would say usms, uh, as my dad used to say. There's not too many of us around uh, the company, uh, as well as those that are um, that are articulate and that uh, that command a a presence in the room. So we were at a government affairs, uh, community affairs staff meeting uh, one day, and as I was on campus in Fort Worth, and I was still living in Texas. Uh, the AVPs of that team said, hey, French, can you come and just kind of talk about what you do? I was in a different role at the time dealing with a lot of public things. And so as normal, put together my deck and, and came and, and gave the presentation. So coming there, they're running a little bit behind, but that's typical of any meeting that you ever go to. Um, and so get up there and give my, my presentation. And then this tall woman walks into the room. And I'm like, who is this person? Like, I've never seen this person before. And I pride myself on knowing most people. Um, And so I was like, huh, interesting. And so after I get done, uh, they're like, yep, hey, we have uh, Marissa coming in. Uh, She'll share. And I'm like, well, I'll I'll sit back and and listen to this. And Marissa got there and just started talking. And I'm like, yo, she's awesome. This is pretty cool. I need to get to know her. And uh, in the role I was at previously, didn't necessarily have an opportunity our paths didn't cross much until I got to this new role out on the West coast. And Marissa was leading our, uh, our environmental strategy and litigation and stuff out there. And we, we quickly, we quickly hit it off for various reasons. Um, partially because she was like, welcome to California. This is my home. But secondly, because, uh, as you all will soon see, uh, she did not, um, uh, mince any words on how she felt about things in life. So, uh it was it was uh, from there i knew that we'd be really uh really really good friends uh, even to the point that after i had met you i think we were downtown at a uh at a meeting with one of the public uh entities and I, after that i was driving home i called my wife i'm like hey i got somebody i think you will love uh because my wife is the same way that doesn't hold back and just share type of thing." so that that's kind of my my first um meeting and and connecting with you and and people will will see why uh you bring a smile to my face most of the time that we talk um uh after we get done yelling about something silly that's that's gone <laughs> on <going. laughs> all right so so I didn't know that you grew up in half spokane half orange county, but um just the first question right what was it like growing up in orange county i mean so I'm new to I'm new to, to California. Family's new. We literally went to Laguna Beach for the first time uh last week, um, or week before last. And um, you know, it was really cool, found a little cove and we were kind of private on a little private beach there. But what was it like growing up in Orange County and Laguna specifically?
1: Yeah, no, first of all, Laguna is a beautiful place, maybe um one of the most beautiful places in the country. I mean, they say that like the Laguna views are the most similar to the French Riviera of anywhere in the United States. So um, Laguna is an amazing town, but I mean, something to be said about Laguna and really also Spokane, right? These places are predominantly white, right? So I am a mixed kid. My dad is black. My mom is white. And I think, you know, most people generally speaking meet me and are like, okay, who is this light-skinned chick, right? Right. But when (laughs) when I was growing up in Laguna... My dad and O.J. were basically the only large Black men in Laguna, right? And Because if you recall, Nicole's family was was based in Laguna, right? So my dad and O.J. were the big Black dudes (laughs) in Laguna. Um, And then when I grew up in Spokane, right? Like, you know, even though I am the light-skinned chick, like, there's not a lot of Black people around. And I don't know if any of you guys have read the book past yet, but, you know, like, I was the darkest thing. And so I mm-hmm. was very much treated like a Black person there as well. So I think that like my upbringing in those places very much sort of has a lot to do with who I became and why I'm passionate about the things mm-hmm. I'm passionate about. And maybe, you know, I have a Blacker identity than one might think when they meet me, you know, when I'm, when I'm an adult. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would say is like, the reason why we lived in Laguna was because my dad's originally from Los Angeles, grew up in like the Jordan Downs projects um, and all of his family was in LA and he had gone to school at the University of Hawaii and wanted to raise his family in like a different sort of situation than where he grew up. But he also wanted to be close enough so that every weekend we were in LA or Compton with family. Right? So I wrote a paper about this in college about like the dichotomy that was like my you know year one through when we moved to Spokane, where it was like, I spent my weeks in Laguna and I spent my weekends in Compton. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so that like very much informed my experience and sort of who I became.
0: That is a very interesting, um, dichotomy as you put it. Right. I don't want to say that Laguna and, uh, <laughs> and Compton are complete opposites, but Laguna and Compton are complete <laughs> opposites. Right. <laughs> I mean, especially talking 20 plus years ago, right. The, Compton now, you got, you know, people jogging with dogs and Lululemon pants, right? In in the middle of Compton and, and stuff like that. But like the wow. And so
1: think, think snowfall if you want to talk about Compton <laughs> back.
0: <right>? So <laughs> So 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 how was that? Did you find yourself needing to defend your uh personality your background your yourself in both places right like i I would feel that you would you would you kind of have to defend who you were in both laguna and compton which is crazy
1: no you hit the nail on the head and it's funny because i have this conversation with a lot of like i have a my kids span in ages that are crazy right so i raised a young woman who's 27 i have a 19 year old daughter and i have an 11 year old son Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like my 27 year old daughter, I have conversations with a lot of her friends who, let's say, are darker skinned, who have a certain assumption about the privilege that I've been able to avail myself to that they haven't, mm. right? They have certain assumptions about how I grew up and I must have had this charmed life and whatever, whatever. But because I grew up in these predominantly white spaces in the time that I grew up in them, my experience is very much the same as what you just described, hmm. which is, you know, both sides are beating up on me, right? Like, I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough. And so it's kind of like trying to fit in, mm. right? And I, I would say that, like, that has a lot to do with, like, probably why I'm so frank, why I add humor <laughs> to, like, most conversations, <laughs> because, like, it gets to the point where, like, you start making fun of yourself to, like, find your way, That's right? Or making fu- fun of situations, right? So yeah
0: how did your parents um help you navigate that or was it kind of i mean they had to have known uh number one getting together and then having you uh, would be a challenge in itself um what type of guide? how did they guide you through that or was it kind of like sorry you know work it out I mean, obviously your dad was still trying to give you this uh you know, you're going to know your people type of deal. Um, but, but how was that? Um, how, how did they aid and, or not aid in that process?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say like, there are some things about my upbringing that ended up making it a little bit more difficult. Like my parents divorced mm-hmm. um, when I was like kindergarten, first grade, and then my mom ended up getting the job in Washington that moved us there around fifth grade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, she's the single white mom with these three black kids and people have, you know, stereotypes about that. I and mean, fortunate for us, like my mom was a boss and we could probably talk about that later, which dictated that like, you know, we, we had a certain amount of privilege growing up and like, you know, we were very quickly able to sort of like when people attempted to think about stereotypes we were able to pretty quickly say, oh, actually no, my mom, manages this business and is the president of the chamber of commerce and wow. you know keep your stereotype yourself yeah. kind a of situation right but i do think that like there's not a ton of guidance that your parents can give you in terms of how to navigate school and clicks and all the normal stuff that you go through absent the extra things that me and my brother and sister had on our had on our plate right and i would say that like you know one of the things that helped all three of us is we're all really, really good athletes. My mom always has involved in sports and things like that, which allows you to like assimilate into groups and like maybe like get you know
0: Accepted certain you know yeah. ex-
1: level of acceptance, etc. But I mean, kids have to figure it out themselves, right? I mean,
0: that, they do. That, so that's interesting, right? So um, as as I've known a lot of mixed uh, people, um, especially those that are mixed with black, if they. I don't say that it defaults that to that you're black, but did you ever feel that um that was the default that people put you in that box that you 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 were just black even though that you were mixed and all of that
1: absolutely like i mean it, it's so funny to me that like I feel like now maybe in my professional life when I talk about my experience as a Black person, I think that there are people that can look at me kind of side-eye, and I'm like, no way, you don't understand. Like, the first time I got called the N-word, I was, like, in the third grade, wow. right? So, like, nobody has been confused about whether I'm <laughs> Black or, right? Like, you can feign confusion now, right? And you can have, you know, whatever sort of thoughts you have about, like, She's not that black or you know, her hair is this color or whatever, but my experience is my experience and I can tell you that my experience is no one has ever been
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> that that's that that's cool. So I had I had on here um as part of my questions, I was like that you're the coolest, bougiest person I know, right? Which is I mean it like I think the, you mean
1: ratchet <laughs> bougie. Like ratchet And
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, like it's just it, like it's it's so raw, so real, um, which is just so cool. Right. Un- unapologetic. Where do you where do you feel that you found that or or came into your own in that? Right. Was it through sports? Was it just because of this, this, uh, the this tightrope that you had to walk between lifestyles or, or family origin? I mean, kind of where do you feel that you found your personality in and grew into it?
1: Okay. So first of all, like both of my parents are very cool,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? They are always like the coolest parents, like, you know, both my mom and my dad, like all of my friends idolize them. And even though my dad wasn't always around, like when he came to visit, he was like, you know, in the living room, bumping the dog pound when my friends came <laughs> over and they're <laughs> like, whoa, that's your dad? You know, like, you know, like, so both of my parents have always like been cool and like sort of, you know, younger than you would expect and like put me on the music I like, been into the music I liked when I was 16, when they were 40, you know, yeah. like really, really cool people. I'd say like, also my kids keep me super young, That's cool. right? And like, I go out of my way not to take my t- myself too seriously, right? And I also think I work on really, really, really esoteric stuff like air quality and, you know, esoteric stuff that most people think is nerdy right and so like pop culture is sort of my where i go to sort of like find refuge right like i want to watch dumb stuff right and and i really pride myself on being the person that like literally is in my car bumping meek mill and yg and can also function in the boardroom right and I actually think there's something to that in terms of success, right? Mm. Like we talk a lot about diversity for the sake of diversity and maybe even diversity as a business proposition, but like diversity of thought is really the key, right? And like when you can operate in such different worlds and like go out of your way to make sure that like you are in touch with all of these different pieces of reality, like, I think it goes a long way toward your success in a variety
0: of. Ways. That's good. That's good. That's really good. I I I can definitely see you bumping YG driving down. <laughs> 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 All right. So, um, so you spoke about sports, right? And I would say the uh, the first time that I met you, I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a tall and stature guy, right? I would say I'm average European height. But, I mean, like how tall are you And like how how did you kind of navigate that growing up? You talked about your mom, having you in sports and stuff like that, but did you feel that that was because of your height and athleticism was something that was a that again people put you into another box similar to race, or did you feel that it was just another opportunity for you to leverage to be able to be more, do more, et cetera
1: so i'm five ten. But I will tell you, I am the rent of my
0: family. Oh, really?
1: So my sister's six one, my brother's 6'7", my dad's 6'5". I have great aunts that are taller than me. Wow. So I am kind of like, I, I am large in most professional settings that I'm in, but I am not that large in my
0: family.
1: Wow. Um, But yeah, so I am the first one to tell you that I think it is like so important for every kid, whether they're good at it or not, to participate In sports or something similar that gives them the opportunity to have all of the experiences and learn all the things that I've learned through Mm athletics. Like, I say this in every interview, I still have like indications of like being an NCAA athlete on my resume today, like 15 years into being a lawyer, because like you learn so much about competitiveness, adversity, how to deal with adversity, teamwork. You know, how you can, you know, lead from the back or mm-hmm. from afar if you're not playing. Um, just all sorts of soft skills that I think are, like, critical to success in a professional setting, That's right? So, all that being said, like, athletics is, like, core to my existence. I'm the biggest sports lover on the planet. Like, I, I love sports. But there's something to your point about people putting you in a box yeah. or making certain assumptions about you or, you know, whatever, like I was blessed. I had an incredible amount of success in both of the sports that I played. Right. I was one of the top 50 kids in my class in volleyball. I was lucky enough to get a D one scholarship to play. Um, I at the same time was ranked top five in the country in 800 meters and had the opportunity to run track in college if nice. to. Right. And, um, But like there was definitely like my mom used to get really, really mad at our local reporter because there was like definitely a distinction between how he treated my achievements, which like I was nationally good in a really, really small place versus how he treated the achievements of like other white kids that he didn't expect as much from. Right. Like so um and and that's about like my white mom used to fight and something like she noticed or whatever that i thought was like really really sort of interesting and now like reflecting back she wasn't wrong
0: yeah and it's
1: like it's interesting it's really really interesting
0: no it's it's cool now and i want to get to that um a little bit more as we go through your story because kind of the experience that you've had growing up is so relevant to like what's happening in the world today. Uh, but I, I want to get there just eventually. So so you, you, you played sports. You were D1 scholarship, all of these things. How'd you get into law? Like, how'd you become a lawyer? Like, how did that happen?
1: That's a really great question. So I actually was that kid who said they were going to be a lawyer from the time I was like, probably like three, four years old. Oh, wow. Like, I'm going to be a lawyer, right? Um, but I will tell you, that I grew up around all criminal. Law, and okay. I thought that I wanted to be a criminal. Law. Wow. Um, so I get to law school and the first day of criminal law, I was basically like, yeah, I'm not doing this. It was, a, we we're reading a case about like a young girl that basically got sexually assaulted and mm. like tortured by her stepfather and murdered, her, right? And he gets off on a tech. And I was like, yeah, no, this is not what I'm doing <laughs> with my life. Like, I had a young daughter at the time. I was like, no, I'm not looking at pictures. I'm not reading these cases. I'm not like, you know, a, losing a case like this. Like, we gotta, we gotta regroup. Like, we gotta figure something else out. This is not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. So I kind of just, like I said, I had a young daughter, and so I just kind of continued with law school. Like, okay, something's gonna stick out to me. And my second or third year, I took a land use class, and I like got the best grade in the class. I was like ooh, I kind of like this, Mm. but I didn't even know, like, and I will say, I say this all the time in environmental law settings. One of the biggest barriers to to diversity in environmental law is people, even people that are relatively privileged, which I considered myself, don't understand that environmental law is actually like a career path, Mm. right? And especially in this day and age, when there's so many issues that people are concerned about that are like, High profile like climate change, environmental justice, etc. We should be able to message to kids sooner. Like this is the thing. Like I know you see on TV criminal law or you know civil law. But
0: or- well, there's no there's no yeah. NCIS. You know there's no Law yes. and Order for yes. like environmental law lawyers. Right? <laughs> you just sit in there. Yes. Doom doom doom. Look at the smog today. We're gonna. <laughs>
1: exactly exactly and so literally i took this land use course i took another environmental course i killed them i was super into it and i still didn't understand like i could get a job doing it. yeah and i happened to get a job at a firm that had a whole bunch of different practices and get put in their land use real estate environmental group that's cool and the rest is history but i mean it was really like happenstance that i actually got to a career in it even though i knew i liked it
0: that's that's interesting so um you know, like you say, you, you grew up around a lot of, you know, criminal lawyers, et cetera. When you started going down this path and you said, Hey, I'm going into environmental law, this is what I want to do, how was that received with, with your network, right? How how did that kind of um uh you know, what what were people encouraged or were people kind of like the same way they look today? Like, what? What is that? Except from if you're like, I guess you're in the West Coast. That's the only place where people probably be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But the rest of the country is like, no idea what that is. <laughs>
1: I would say that I think that everyone that I knew was just like impressed by the fact that I had a good job mm. and passed the bar the first time, right? Like California bar is hard. There are not a lot of like, like I remember my grandparents who like I'm as me and my grandma were best, mm. best friends. Like I like, she was like another mom, like whatever, but my grandparents circle, like they live on century and Western in LA. Their experience, the black people that they knew is that, the bar is super hard.
0: Yeah,
1: if people don't pass it in California the first time. Is she really going to get a job? So when I, with a three-year-old, passed the bar, had a good job right away, they were like, their minds were blown by that. Yeah. They didn't care what it was I actually did. They were just like, whoa, like,
0: you know. So so this is interesting. Um, do you feel that there were low expectations? Um, of you, especially from a sports perspective, like, oh, well, she's going to play sports, uh, or, or even just kind of the culturally, uh, where, where your family was from, or did you feel that you had a lot of support along the way that said, Hey, go, go do whatever you want to do. Right. You, you already said your mom was a boss. Right. Um, but, but do you feel that, uh, like a boss in, in multiple ways, like literally she was a, a boss of people, but like she was, you know, mom was a boss. Um, or, or, you know, and so did you feel like, Hey, this is just a natural incl- inclination or, you know, natural iteration of what you're doing? Or did you feel like there was something inside of you that said, Hey man, I have to do better than Compton and Laguna combined, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think I had a ton of support along the way. Like I said, I had a young, I had a young child when I was going through law school. I had her like, uh, the last, uh, quarter of my college mm. career so it was literally like I had a baby I went to finals like two weeks later like finished college then got enrolled in law school I had so much support my village was so awesome nice. my dad my grandparents mom you know I think everyone believed in me I think there was a level of skeptic- skepticism um particularly like where my grandparents and my dad mm. were concerned just because it was like okay now she has a kid our experiences is this hard for Black people, yeah. like, it's just like, you know what I mean? It was hard for them to like picture it all coming together, right? And like, it did. And like, I don't think anybody bet against me. It was just like, wait, is this all really gonna come gonna together? Work. Yeah. Right? Is it all gonna work? Like, there was no like, oh, she ain't gonna, yeah. right? It was just like, oh, really? Oh, another milestone, another milestone? Oh, this is real. That's you know, great. we're gonna help her do it, but like, Whoa! We didn't necessarily know it was gonna happen,
0: you know. Did Did you have any <clears throat> any mentors uh, growing up, or even any women that you looked to, you know, beyond your mom, where you were like, "Hey, I, I know I can do it"? Or did you feel that you just kind of had this self, um, uh, uh, self fulfilling, you know, prophecy, or or it's kind of a bad way of putting it, but essentially this this inner drive to say, hey, this, I'm just gonna do it just because this is who I am. Like, what kind of helped you along the way to become kind of who you are?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, some of the major influences in terms of the law and like, just me staying true to my path in the law. My dad had a best friend, Karen Novomoto, who past president of the California Bar Association, um, also went to the same law school as me, and was working in the LA district attorney's office. And so, like, one of the reasons why I want to be a criminal lawyer, like, you know, she's working in the DA's office. She's friends with Chris Darden. She's talking about maybe we can get seats at the OJ trial. Like, all of that was very like <laughs> sexy in the 90s when I was coming up and like very much kept my eye on the prize of, okay, I'm gonna do this lawyer thing. Like, I'm gonna follow Karen's path. My stepmom similarly was working in the DA's office. Nice um once her and my, my my dad got together and so you know she was a boss lawyer um so you know lots of people that i met through those networks and then just kind of like talked me along the way about you know where to go to law school how to get through law school how to make the right contact that's how to good. network etc that's
0: so, good that's good
1: and both black females both black females that had like you know re- achieved very highly right?
0: that's awesome so. all right <clears throat> so You get out of law school, you get into a a firm where you're doing environmental law. um, You're you're you know, you're you're rocking it. So beyond just saying, all right, what happened after that? I guess when you came into uh, kind of that that experience or that field, what were some of the things that kind of hit you and not necessarily about the field or kind of the career path, but the the challenges that you were solving? Right. So you know, you spoke about like criminal law, right? That you're, <clears throat> you see it, right? Somebody does something bad. You got a, you know, a prosecutor and, you know, a defense attorney, and you're working this thing out, right? But like you said, environmental law is somewhat kind of like esoteric, right? It's just kind of this amorphous thing that people kind of hear about or stop somebody from building a Chick-fil-A, right? Something like that. And so kind of what were, what were the things that you just kind of looked in there and said, even, even the same way, somebody like this is effed up. Like this is just ridiculous. Like what 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 was that for you when you kind of got into it and started dealing with this world?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think um along the way, I came to realize as a person that has really always worked on the industry side, mm-hmm. right? That I had the ability. To affect change in a fashion that I think is maybe more powerful than someone who's working at an ENGO mm. or, you know, in, in public interest right. where what I'm doing is concerned. And all of the work is good, like right. We need everybody working on all sides of the issues. But what has become readily apparent to me is once you get really good at this, right? And you are able to speak eloquently to people all the way up to the C-suite about why they need to do certain things and how it's not only gonna impact their ability to get the thing they need to get done, but also it's going to impact their bottom line. That's good. They listen to you, right? And you're able to accomplish those things that, can be really, really, really good for community. That's right. Good. And um I think that, you know, one of the sort of like policy problems in environmental law from my perspective is like we have elites driving the conversation. Mm. And often perfect Look becomes the, the enemy the of the very, black. very good.
0: You're from Laguna. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, you're right. Like I mean, but but I'm just saying like you know, like, perfect becomes the enemy of the very, very good, right. and I like to say, like, the best analogy for me is, like, I think sort of, like, the Tesla and the Prius drivers don't understand that everyone can't afford to drive a Tesla and a Prius. Yeah. So what do we do in the meantime?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right?
0: From the engineering side, I also find it very interesting that the Tesla and the Prius owners, Prius owners don't realize that they're still riding in, uh, in cars made by plastic and steel Right, that are required extraction technologies. Your tires are still rubber, which require refi- you know refining. You have rare metals that are in the middle of your batteries that requires extraction. But they're the same people. That's like no more drilling, no more you know mining. It's like <clears throat> you can't have one without the other, right? You can't recycle your way to a to a Tesla, right? It just it just doesn't work that way. And so to your same point, right, that there's this this dichotomy in environmental policy of, um, you know, Hey, we have to do everything we can to be as green and clean as possible. But then it's like, you know, I I can't have renewable energy without needing to make this ridiculously large windmill blade or damming up a, you know, a salmon spawning river in order to create hydropower. Right. It's just, it's just, it, it seems like there's this, this, uh, cognitive dissonance sometimes in between, those those fields so how, how do you like you said being in an industry help to kind of navigate that in and educate like hey you can't have one without the other it's it's going to be some type of symbiotic relationship there's going to be something that's a part of it how how, how do we get past that right
1: it's a constant battle mm-hmm. um i would say that it's a battle that's waged by changing the narrative right like i mean i think it's fabulous that like sustainability has become Such a buzzword in this space, right? Because sustainability isn't just about the environment, right? right? There's three legs of the stool, right? So you've got the economy, you've got the environment, and you've got people. And you have to balance those three things, right? So, where can you get a win win with respect to all of those things? And I think when you're talking about environmental policy in that sort of paradigm, you have to understand that you can't just go from zero to 100. There has to be a transition, right? So how can you talk about where there are win-wins in particular contexts, even if those win-wins aren't perfect, right? So we all want to get to zero emissions. We all want to get to zero carbon, but the technology isn't all the way there yet, or it's not all the way commercially available yet. So what is the transition plan? and can we accept some of these transition strategies and technologies as a means to getting gains today, knowing that we all want to get to that perfect tomorrow.
0: Right? That's good. good. All right, so um, I want to pivot here uh, because uh, one, I think a lot of people would be like, I have no idea when they started going to sustainability and rare earth metals, what any of that stuff means. And that's okay. Um, Actually, I'm not going to belittle the listening audience. You guys are connoisseurs of all things fine and gentry. therefore, you know about all of these uh, esoteric topics, et cetera. But we're 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 still talking about superwomen here. And so, you know, one of the things that I I had put in here is that you've never been shy about your your thoughts and opinions, right? Um, where where, where do you get, think you got that from, and then how has that uh, kind of either been emboldened or, um, <clears throat> modified in this, um, in this environment that that we've been in. So just kind of first, where do you think you've gotten this, Just like, Hey, this is who I am. You talked a little bit about it. Like you've had to defend yourself, but like, you're just like, Hey, this is me. And, and that's, this is pretty dope. Like, where did you think that you, you kind of got that?
1: Yeah, no, I think, um, first and foremost, like I've kind of said, like I've been raised by really, really strong women, Yeah. right? My mom was a really strong woman, a very successful woman. My Both of my grandmothers were probably ahead of their time, very strong. And so I've always been raised to think that I'm allowed to say whatever I That's think, good. right? Um, and then I think you're right. I think in the face of like sort of like persecution or like childhood bullying or whatever, like people react different ways. My reaction was to, you know, be loud and sort of unapologetic and like funny about, you know, who I was and to say what I thought. And that's just kind of progressed as I've gotten older.
0: Yeah, that's pretty dope. So all that comes to, you know, 2020, right? And everything that's going on, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, all these types of things. And if anybody follows you on social and everything like that, you've been unapologetic about, you know, kind of, uh, your opinions and everything on on that line. And as we talked about, right, your experience being a mixed race child, but yet having to, um, you know, essentially be discriminated against on the half side of you are right without the privilege of the other half. Right. Um, so, you know, how, how has that, how, number one, how has that kind of, you know, been in your own life, right? How, how has the last year and several years been for you, especially being a mom raising kids, right. Who, who are in themselves mixed race because of you. Right. Um, you know how has that been the the lessons that you've kind of talked and and then even more uh with it and that's why i started with kind of like you being unapologetic and just you know speaking your mind how has that you feel this played out in the corporate environment and you know this is stuff we've talked about a lot so i know we can kind of go into there so go ahead
1: yeah so let me let me take the corporate piece first and then i'll <laughs> talk to you about my kids that's a whole nother story but um you know the corporate piece for me like everything that's happened in the last year or so it was the first time that I was ever forced to really intentionally think about my sort of values mm. and, and intentions et cetera, and how or whether they were lined up with those of my employer wow and whether that was important that's right cool. and and I think that up until last year, I had never lined those things up. And I had never intentionally gone about things in my career with that lens. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'm grateful that everything that's happened in the last year has happened because it allowed me to think more intentionally about those things. It caused me to speak up in a variety of contexts. And in as much as I did end up making a career move during the pandemic and George Floyd, my next employment decision was very much so informed by, okay, what do these people think about diversity? Are they talking the talk? What does their board look like? What does their exec team look like? What did their, their messaging after George Floyd look like? Is this going to be a place where I can not only have success from a corporate standpoint, but where I can also further my objectives in that space, right? That's because good. I that's am good. passionate and passionate about DEI. Like, right, are they going to be supportive of the speaking that I'm doing? Yeah. Right. Are they going to be supportive of my ideas about what we should be doing from a corporate policy standpoint where that's concerned? Right. Like, all of those things were factored into my decision about where to work for the first
0: time. That's good, that's good. I I will tell you for me, that has been very interesting for me as well to be able to um, really start to address in my own life, my personal beliefs and value system, and put that up against what is happening um, uh, at my corporation and figuring out right one you know do i want to be here do i even want to stay here with a company that may not feel the same way i feel or may not even acknowledge right i think that's a lot what a lot of people have been kind of in this mindset now is like at least acknowledge this existence at least um accept it be a part of it but i think that, that that has been been very interesting um and And for people to feel comfortable speaking their mind and not feeling some type of um, fear of retribution or retaliation or something like that. And I think that is something that is still growing. And even collectively, there's watching corporations try to understand who they are, right, and what side of whatever issue, social issue they're going to come down on. Whereas a lot of times most corporations have been able to avoid it just in general. Right. But, you know, that's just just kind of a part of it. So it's, it's it's been very interesting. So how has it been, you know, raising your kids in this environment? Right. My kids are still fairly young. They're four and seven. And so all of this stuff, they they see it, but don't they still don't understand it. Your kids are old enough to see it, feel it, understand it, experience, et cetera but then also having an unapologetic mom who was going to be out there, you know, with the signs, going to be out there doing those types of things. And you know, how how have you kind of navigated that narrative with them, even for them to know that they come from a mixed background and and kind of the the the, the dichotomy that they kind of experience in that that mindset, yeah, Yeah, no. And you know,
1: me being unfiltered in life. <laughs> giving too much information like i have a spectrum of kids too right so i have my 27 year old very clearly black you meet her right (laughs) my 19 year old is a mixed kid but she's a special kind of mixed kid because she has two mixed parents right so she has a very she's just as yellow as me but she has a very black identity right (laughs) she only has two black parents and then my 11 year old looks like white kid yeah You know, like he looks like a straight up white kid, like no one's ever going to know that my 11 year old is black. At the same time, the kid is raised in View Park, has all black friends, has Mm. two black sisters and is very cognizant of and aware of his blackness and very sensitive to issues that impact the black community. Mm. Right. And so. Um, you know, like all of my kids have been passionate about being out protesting and we've been out together and, and that's been fabulous. Um, it was so funny because when I was watching, I think my youngest is the the most difficult one to deal with. And the one that I have to be most sensitive about, because, um, you know, I I give the example of, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners listen to the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, um, interview, right. And so there was that whole conversation about the royal family being concerned about how dark this kid yeah. is. Right. Yeah. And you're I'm sitting there with my personal life experience going, that's crazy. Like, have they seen the mama? <laughs> and that has red hair. Right. Right. And I have my kid that I, you know, what I told him, he looks like a white kid. No one's ever gonna know he's black. Right. And so what I wanted to say, and like I think I said on social media was. The parents of kids like that, our concern is like actually the opposite end of the how dark is are they gonna be? Our concern is how are they going to be able to grapple with the fact that they have some level of black identity and nobody around them sees or understands that. Right. And what is that gonna mean for them? Right? Because that's that's hard too. And like the way I like to say it is like in the best case, like, my kid is going to be the best ally on the planet, right? right? Right. Like he's going to be in spaces where people think that he is a white man and he's going to be like, wait a minute, what are you talking about, right? And it's going to be freaking fantastic. But there are definitely those like fuzzy moments in his life where it's like, but I am black, you know? And the kid's (laughs) like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Cool story, bro, right? And that's hard for an 11 year old.
0: That's good. Wow, wow. <clears throat> All right. So nah, that's that's good. I'm, I'm going to pivot just a little bit. So you, you you spoke about sports, right? You're an active person. Like if anybody's following you on social, you got the twin Pelotons up there. Right. Uh, you're, you're rocking We already talking about how you got into into sports. Um, how, how did you translate that into your children? Right. Because, you know, there's often times that there's kind of like this. You know, this is what I did. This is my passion. This is what I'm good at. So I'm not going to say that this is what you should do, but I can help you the most in this realm. Right. Um, <clears throat> how, how has it been raising athletes? Right. Uh, and and kind of watching them mature into the individual that they are, um, and knowing the experiences that you had and the value you've gotten from it. How has that been? And uh, and just just holistically. Right. I'm just just curious about the different facets that are in your in your sphere, right? And, and so, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, like I told you, I'm passionate about. Sports. Um, I'm also. I also have always believed that my kids should at least have some involvement in sports to get the life lessons. And then, if they're good at it, they continue. If they're not, if they don't want to do it, right, forget about it. Right. But so far, my first two have been really, really good at sports, and so they've. <laughs> done it at a high level you know my it's, oldest
0: kid is that's what i was about to say because she's she, she trying to be real humble here but she, think she's really, <laughs> really really good at sports come on let's drop this Let's drop some superwoman stats here go ahead let's, let's go ahead
1: so my my oldest kid you know like played at cal in the pac-12 was pac-12 player of the year her senior year and is currently you know playing in the WNBA and plays overseas professionally um my second kid just finished her freshman year at Gonzaga. Um, so she's playing division one basketball at a top 25 team as well. And what I can say about my youngest kid is he's only 11. So who knows what's going to happen and who really cares, but he's probably the most passionate of the three and what's so amazing about him. And it kind of goes back to the way I was describing his experience earlier is because he has sisters that played basketball. He is so passionate about women's basketball. He's literally women's basketball rain man. You know, like he is what the WNBA needs from a fan base <laughs> standpoint. He knows all of them. He loves all of them. He would prefer to watch women's basketball to men's and something.
0: That's pretty So, cool. it's so awesome. <clears throat> do you feel that there is a um, that younger sister feels that she has to live up to older sister's accomplishments, or how does that kind of play, play out?
1: Younger sister is. Uh, the reincarnation of her mother. <laughs> so she does her own thing unapologetically and beats her own drummer. She got into basketball because when we're taking Rashonda to our high school practices, that club was building a youth program. They said, oh, there's a tall, length kid. Like, why doesn't <laughs> she join the
0: Why well, you play crew, basketball. Right?
1: <laughs> why don't you play basketball? And and so she got into it, but my big kid's a post player. My second kid is a skinny Giant all arms and legs guard. <laughs> so, you know, she, it's, it's funny, like when they play each other, like it's super competitive. And like Michaela's like, I'm gonna beat her, even though she's not gonna beat the pro, <laughs> right. pro right. Um, but I mean, she, I don't think that her goal in anything is to be like Rashonda, it's to be Michaela Williams. That's good. Unapologetically, how Michaela Williams
0: that's good that's good all right well no this has been great and i hope that you all have have enjoyed this this uh wide-ranging discussion um on all types of things and i hope you all see why i feel that she's a superwoman man just so many different pieces my last question and i'm there's one i'm always curious about is like what's what's next right and the way that i kind of view you and i explain to my wife and everything like that like you're you're like a Rolling Stone that that you know gathers no moss. You know what I mean? Like nothing's gonna hold you down. Nothing's gonna kind of be like, oh, you know, you're you're making uh because you're in a Bay Area, you're making like sourdough bread or something like that with an apron on, right? So that, that's that's not gonna happen. So what's what's next? Where do you see yourself, you know, flying to next when you put on your cape? So I don't know if any of
1: your listeners have read the book unapologetically ambitious, Mm -mm. but it is an amazing book for anybody that's operating in corporate America. I will say that it like has given me the courage to like be a little bit more direct about what I want to do, right? Like I, um, you know, I am a senior director, a senior leader in a company. Um, I don't see myself for the rest of my career being at the stature that I'm in today, right? And so what I do next, it look a lot of different ways. Yeah. It can be growth at this company or it's going to be on to the next one because I know the value that I bring to the table and I'm going to get to where I want to be, that's right? Good. And yes. so um, that's kind of, you know, there's room to move. It could, it could be different things. But one thing I do know is that I go into every situation knowing the value that I bring. And as long as I continue to bring it, then I'm going to expect, you know, my leadership to recognize that and reward me accordingly.
0: That's awesome. And that's how Superwoman lays down the law. You know, I'm bringing it. It was brought. Y'all better bring it back. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. This is awesome.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me. This idea is awesome. The fact that you're doing the Superwoman series is awesome. Keep up the great.
0: Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So If anybody wants to know how they can get in touch with you, maybe there's a listener that's like, hey, I love environmental law, right? Or somebody that's mixed, that's had similar experiences, or is trying to navigate this, or just in general, just wants to get in touch. How does a person uh, get in touch with you if you desire to share?
1: So you can email me at marissa1r1s.blackshire, B-L-A-C-K-S-H-I-R-E, at gmail.com. I am the queen of responding to anybody that reaches out to me. So if you fire away, like you will get a response.
0: That's awesome. We'll make sure we put our email in the show notes as well. We hope that you all enjoyed this episode and the continuation of the Superwoman series so much more. We're, we're going to have Marissa on probably, uh, often just, it will be like the, uh, random thoughts with Marissa just on, Hey, this happened in the world. What do you think? And she, she was, she was actually, I'm proud of you, you were calm today. You didn't curse. You, you, did, you did, you did a good job. I'm so, <laughs> yeah, because French knows that sometimes my mouth can get a little out of control. <laughs> so we hope that you've all enjoyed it. Please like and share. Uh, subscribe tag us on social we will repost there's so many good things happening hope that you all enjoyed this episode uh other than that thank you all again for tuning in and we will see you after a while